everyone, and welcome back to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And today's episode is one that my co-host here has been waiting for for a long time. Guys, I'm so excited. I cannot even begin to explain. This is going to be an awesome episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it. You're not even going to tell them what it's about? It's about music. It's about the music in the first National Treasure movie, and I'm so excited. So I think it's funny because I remember back when we did our science episode in season one, we felt like we needed to explain ourselves and justify why we were qualified to talk about science and National Treasure. So Emily, do you want to do you want to give your little um, qualifications for this episode? Yeah, sure. So I've been playing the flute since I was in fourth grade. So that's that's quite a while now for those of you that are keeping count of where I am in life. Um, and I actually uh, double majored in neuroscience and music in college. So I do have my BA in music. So I feel qualified to um, give some in-depth analysis on the music in this movie i've done reports previously on the music of various things such as the thor movie and stuff like that so i feel like i have some experience with this and yeah i think i got you covered would you say aubrey i have faith in you and i also want to say that for as experienced you are in music that's as inexperienced as i am in music so I'm going to be the gauge for all of you audience members today who are not terribly musically inclined to make sure that this episode is for all of us. The way I put, I think of it, you know, I'm Riley Poole today. I am the sidekick. Yeah, it's weird and I don't know how I feel about it, but we're going to get through it together. I'm nervous about it. <laughs> But before we we get there, um, we do have a few housekeeping things to go through, as always. So one of those housekeeping things today is a huge thank you to everyone who's listening here and to everyone who is part of our National Treasure Hunt community. As some of you probably know, a couple of months ago, we were asking you all to vote for us in an independent podcast award category. We were nominated in Quite the Thing Media's Quite the Podcast Award for TV and Film 2021. And At the time of us recording this, this is still new-ish news, Um, but we're really excited to say that we received second place in that category thanks to the votes of all of you. I I can't even believe it. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. That was, it's, honestly, it's amazing. As the person of this podcasting duo who often kind of doubts um, how many people are listening and you know, how much of an impact this podcast has, it is so rewarding to know that we are having an impact on you guys and that you guys really came out and, and helped us accomplish this. Yeah, we're, we're really grateful. So we just wanted to make sure we acknowledge that up front. Um, and with that, Let's move into our other fun segment here at the beginning, which of course is Screams from Parkington Lane, where Emily and I very realistically acknowledge how much national treasure has seeped into our daily lives by, you know, really helping us fall deep into the pit of Parkington Lane, where we cannot get out because it is everywhere in our lives, right, Em? 
yes, we are, we are, we are stuck in there like Ben and Riley and Abigail were about to be when Ian left. <laughs> Perfect. So uh, I'll, I'll start with you today. Em, do you have a scream to share? I do. So this is, this is like a pseudo scream. Okay. But it's something that I'm really excited about. And I think you guys as our listeners will hopefully be excited about too, because I think it bodes well for my future role in this podcast. So in prepping for this episode, I had to watch, not had to, I, I watched uh, National Treasure very closely. It involved a lot of pausing for me to take notes on the music during different parts. And I don't know if it's Aubrey's amazing memory and how well she explains things, but as I was watching the movie, I was seeing things for the first time that I hadn't seen before and putting new things together that I hadn't seen before and everything was clicking to me. And I now remember so much about what happens in the film because I took the time to do this. And I feel like it's just, I I hope it's evident in this episode, but I also think that it's gonna follow us through moving forward when we're talking, especially about the first National Treasure movie. I think I, as I, as we said at the beginning of this, I think I am now as deep into Parkington Lane as Aubrey is. And I feel so justified to be a co-host of this podcast now. I'm simultaneously thrilled and sad. Am I gonna, do I have to stop making fun of you for not knowing things about these movies? Probably not. Remember that this episode is only going to be covering the music in National Treasure 1 which means that that is the movie that I watched very closely. So we still have all of National Treasure 2, as well as my memory, which I'm sure will fail me in a few weeks, to (laughs) fall back on for this bit that we have. Excellent. Okay. Um, Well, thank you for that scream, Emily. We we appreciate your sacrifice. Um, My scream is actually a little bit of a callback. I'm pretty sure... I don't know what episode it was now, but a few episodes ago, I had mentioned that I was watching the show called Manifest um, Mm -hmm. on Netflix. So I recently finished the series, or at least what has been made of it so far. And in season two of that show, I noticed this immediately. There's a scene, and anyone who watches Manifest, I hope you all remember this scene, and I hope it sticks out in your brain as much as it does me. Because there's a scene where, like, one of the main characters, the kid, um, his name is Cal, he basically gets kidnapped, and they have to, like, set up an exchange between the kidnappers and the family to get the kid back. And Emily, do you know where the exchange is set up to happen? Is it at Parkington Lane? No, that would be too, that would be too much. I mean, as we've discussed, I don't think Parkington Lane is like 100% real, but you're actually not far off. It happens on the USS Intrepid. Oh my gosh, no way. Yeah, it happens on the Intrepid and it's, it's just crazy because not only is that just like really random and obviously connected to National Treasure, but it parallels National Treasure so much in that what happens on the Intrepid in our favorite movie, there's basically an exchange that's supposed to happen mm-hmm. between the bad guys and the good guys, and it gets botched. 
and that's what happens here. It's an exchange between the bad guys and the good guys and manifests and it gets botched. And my brain was literally exploding. <laughs> that sounds awesome. I think I'm going to have to watch the show now. Just for that scene, which is admittedly a very insignificant scene. Oh, that's good because no spoilers then. Exactly, exactly. Um, so the fact that that just screamed to me and I was just blown away by this incident, I thought was was it was a scream in and itself yeah well thank you Aubrey for that scream and listeners if you too have watched manifest and have had the similar experience that Aubrey has just had please reach out to us you can find us on social media at nt hunt podcast we're on both twitter and instagram and you can listen to us on Spotify, iTunes, or even SoundCloud. Yes, we have you covered on SoundCloud. Because even if you're not all about the manifest, let us know what you're thinking. Tell us if you like the show. Go ahead, rate, subscribe, review, do all the things you can do on these various platforms and go ahead and let us know what you guys think of the podcast. Let us know your thoughts on various things from the show manifest to the movie Pig, if you've seen it yet and what you guys think of this episode um and yeah please we just absolutely love talking to you so please go ahead and talk to us interact with us uh we absolutely love it yes we do we love it and we're gonna love hearing your thoughts on this episode today as well because it's also gonna be a little test bed for whether or not we come back with a music episode related to national treasure two in the future right em it definitely is going to be guys so please do let us know and with that being said I want to note the version of the film that I was watching when prepping for this episode is the version that's on Disney plus and there are going to be some points during this episode where I'm going to refer to specific time points or time stamps that are specifically from this Disney Plus version of National Treasure. And these are going to be timestamps for if you want to go ahead and take a listen to the music that I'm talking about specifically. I'm going to try and explain to you what's happening musically so you don't have to go and listen to these timestamps if you don't want to take the time to do it. But in case you're extra interested and you do want to go ahead and do this, I'm going to include them at some points during this episode. All right, um, so I think it's time for us to get started, and I just have to say, it feels weird for me to be relinquishing all of this episode control to you, but I have the faith, and it's all yours. Thank you very much. So with that, guys, let me just give you a quick rundown of what we're going to be doing. I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about Trevor Rabin, who is the composer of both National Treasure 1 and National Treasure 2. I'm then going to take us through a few of the notable musical themes. I'm going to take us through the action theme as well as what I refer to as the treasure theme. Then we're gonna take a fun little divergence into what it looks like when we hear music for the villains versus the heroes of this movie. And we're gonna drop in on Sadusky and see where he falls. Yes. And then I'm gonna wrap up the episode with a little call to what happens when music is not present. So with all of that said, here we go. So Trevor Rabin is a South African musician, singer, songwriter, producer, and film composer. So he's done a lot. 
he was obsession musician for a while, which basically means that he would be part of like a house band in a recording studio that an artist would come in and record a song along with rather than say Maroon 5 coming in with their own band, it would be a solo artist coming in to sing along with these studio musicians. He was in a rock band called Rabbit from, <laughs> yes, Sorry, from, I love that. <laughs> from 1972 to 1978. Uh, during that time and a little after he released a few solo albums. So he has some solo work to speak of. After that, from 1982 to about 1995, he actually was the lead guitarist in a progressive rock band called Yes. And there was a top U.S. song called Owner of a Lonely Heart that some of you may know. I can tell by Aubrey's face she does not know. And I can tell you I also do not know this song. (laughs) Okay, if you don't know it, then I don't feel as bad about it. But um, maybe go ahead and take a listen to it uh, to see what else Trevor Evans done. Um, fun fact, he actually wrote the theme song for the NBA on TNT. Really? Yeah. So that, that theme that you hear all the time, that was, that was Trevor Evans. So National Treasure Connection. That is crazy. Yeah. And he, as I mentioned, is also a film scorer. So he has been scoring films since a little before 1995, he's done over 40 films. Whoa. And he is an award-winning composer. Now, I want to touch on a few of the movies that he's done music for. One of them in 1997 was Con Air. Now, if I'm correct, Nicolas Cage was in Con Air. That is literally one of the most famous Nicolas Cage memes is from Con Air. Perfect. So he has a history of having worked with Nicolas Cage before, probably not directly, but at least with his films. I love that for him. (laughs) He also scored the music for Armageddon in 1998. And for those of you who don't know this movie, this is actually a Michael Bay movie. And Michael Bay is a pretty famous producer, director. Um, He also did Remember the Titans in 2000, which is a pretty common one that most people would know. And as I mentioned before, he did score both National Treasure and National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. Awesome. So this guy is, he's, he's been around the block. I mean, he's been scoring films for almost as long as we've been alive. Um, this is true. He has been. And to think that it's not even the first thing he did as a musician. So Seriously, I had no idea. Yeah, pretty amazing stuff. So what we're going to do now is we're going to jump into some themes that we see throughout this movie in terms of the music. So the first theme that I want to talk about is what I dubbed as the action theme. Now, Aubrey, I want to start with you here. And I want to see, you know, tell me what you think an action theme is and what you would normally characterize it as, or if you can think of examples from a movie or a TV show of like what purpose you think that it serves. Yeah, and so I I suspect you're asking me this as the, again, the resident non-musical person to underscore that we probably recognize the music without realizing we recognize the music, right? Yes. Um, I would assume, correct me if I'm wrong, please, that an action theme is used to, you know, add, 
add something to an action sequence in a movie or a TV show. Um, so I would imagine it would, you know, be highly energetic, you know, fast paced, maybe lend to the feeling of the heart racing because there's some sort of um, suspense or um, concern or, you know, you're getting into the action sequence, you're getting into the car chase, you're getting into the, you know, the gunfight, whatever it might be in the movie itself. Am I, am I on the right track here? Yeah, that honestly is a perfect description, better than I could have done. Oh, thank what you. an action theme is and you're stealing my thunder a little bit because you gave some examples that I'm gonna go through oh no but... I didn't even I didn't even read your notes no Adam. it's fine I, I was a joke I was doing this as a joke. Oh, okay it's fine <laughs> so as a quick fun fact before I jump into some of these examples this action theme is actually what I tried to base the podcast intro and outro music on yes because since she won't you know, promote herself, I will take the opportunity to remind all of you that Emily created our podcast intro and outro music, guys. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. But this is what I based it off of. And as Aubrey said, this theme is used a lot in action scenes. The theme is used during scenes where in this movie specifically, they're searching for the clues and they're doing actiony things, like you said, like car chases or gunfights and stuff like that. Now, the theme itself is mainly comprised of string instruments, so violins, cellos, basses, stuff like that, and percussion, so drums. Okay. And the strings themselves are very rhythmic in nature, and along with the percussion, they serve to drive the music forward. And I'm going to tap into what you said, Aubrey, about this energetic component of this action theme. A lot of the rhythmic components of this action theme that come from the strings and the percussion are doing exactly what you said. They are serving to drive that energy level and make you kind of come along with what's happening in the movie almost. So again, from the non-music perspective, I find this really interesting because when I think of a string instrument, particularly some of the ones that you mentioned as examples, like I would not think violin and think action. Right. That's so crazy to me. Yeah. So that's, you know, one of the cool things about instruments is that they can be used (laughs) for a variety of different things rather than just carrying a really sweet melody like you're saying you often associate violins with, they can be used in this very energetic fashion. And I think this is particularly prevalent here in these action scenes. So to give you a few examples, I think the first really good example is in the beginning of the movie when the characters are in the Arctic tundra and they are digging for the Charlotte. Okay, so it's interesting because in this scene, you clearly get the impression that this action theme is the, what I would refer to as the B theme. So what that means is it's not the A theme. It's the slightly less important theme. So what makes you say that you get that impression? So this is because when they actually find the Charlotte they actually switch us into a different theme that ends up being 
what I refer to as the main theme or the treasure theme. And so the lead up to this is this action theme, but the fact that they switch suddenly when something as important as we've talked about in all of our episodes, such as discovering the Charlotte happens, the fact that they switch to a different theme, knowing what we know about the movies gives the impression that that theme is going to be the main theme and that the theme we heard before is going to kind of be the secondary one. That's super interesting to me because, and maybe I'm getting ahead of us a little bit here, Mm -hmm. But I think about the way we characterize this movie as treasure hunt meets action meets like adventure slash heist. And we always say it's a mix of those things. But two of those things you've just described as thematic music. Yeah. And if the B is the action and the Mm. A is the treasure theme, it really underscores that if you were going to weight those different aspects of the movie, that treasure comes out ahead of, of action. That's that's a great point, Aubrey. And all I have to say to that is the movie is called National Treasure for a reason. Okay, rude. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I meant it in a good way. That was awesome that you pointed that out. That's exactly what, that's exactly the point. Um, so the second example that I have of this theme is when they, uh, when Ben and Ian, really try to steal the Declaration of Independence when everybody's going after the Declaration. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the action music as it's used in this scene when I get to the final section where I'm talking about the hero versus the villain music. So I don't want to go too much into this, but I still wanted to touch on this theme in general, even though I'm not giving you many examples of it. It is very prevalent in the movie, and I wanted to touch on it because it's very important. And it, like Aubrey said, is used in the film to give you that energy and that motivation behind what's happening. And I think, you know, I think what Aubrey said is exactly right. Whether or not you necessarily notice the music as it's happening, hopefully you're getting the impression as you're watching these scenes, that there's something kind of driving these scenes. And I think the music really helps to do that. And one of the really cool things about the action theme is that at one point in the movie, it actually incorporates a heartbeat sound, which I think is really cool. Wait, really? Yeah, you get a heartbeat-like sound going on in the action theme. Interesting. I'm gonna have to listen for that next time. Yeah. And it's awesome because it's exactly what you're saying, right? The action theme is supposed to get your heart rate going. It's supposed to get your pulse pounding. It's supposed to get you energized. And they're literally inserting that into the music in case you're not already feeling that. All right. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. You've got me. Awesome. So the next theme I want to talk about, and we're going to admittedly spend a little bit more time on this theme because as I mentioned it is the main theme is the treasure theme as I call it okay so before I get into this with examples Aubrey can you think of any moments where you think this treasure theme might have been used is it a cop-out to say when they get to the treasure room? It's it's not, because that <laughs> is one of the scenes where it's used, and we're going to okay, talk okay. on that. Great. Let me, can I guess it? Maybe one other? Um, ooh. 
Cut this out if I'm wrong. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm 100% including this. Okay, fine. I want to say that there's some aspect of the declaration. I don't know if it's maybe when they're in the rotunda and he's mm-hmm. realizing that the map is in front of him. That whole like, you know, the scene where it's like, oh, hundreds of years of searching and it's three feet, three feet in front of me or something. Mm-hmm. I want to say that because I want that to be the answer since we always talk about how the declaration is the real treasure all along. Yeah. So it's not exactly in that scene, but it is used with the declaration of independence. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about how kind of a spinoff of this main melody is used during those scenes. Cool. Cool. Like that. Um, So one thing that I want to note, or I guess the the last thing I want to ask you, Aubrey, is can you think of any movies that you can really remember a main theme for? Whether it be action, adventure, yeah? So what kind of movie? Aubrey's nodding her head. Oh, yeah. I I mean, immediately two franchises come to mind. They are Pirates of the Caribbean and Harry Potter. Perfect. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So the, the, the main theme in those movies is exactly the kind of theme that we're referring to here. Often this theme is very memorable. Now, I would like to note that with respect to Trevor Rabin, the national treasure theme has never to me been quite as memorable as some of the themes that you mentioned, Aubrey. I'm not quite sure why that is, but it's interesting to note However, I will say that having gone through the movie kind of bit by bit, like I did for this episode, I now have that theme stuck in my head a lot more (laughs) and I can like readily sing it. Really? Yeah. So I think that it's going to become for me one of those themes that is very memorable. But I think because of the fact that Pirates of the Caribbean and Harry Potter were these multi-film franchises, you really had those main themes kind of stuck in your mind because they followed you through from movie to movie, mm-hmm. right? And in National Treasure, we'll touch on this a little bit if we do our future episode on National Treasure 2, the themes aren't exactly the same. And there are also only two movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't begrudge you if you couldn't, for example, sing for me what the melody is of this main theme. No, I can only sing our intro music. That, I mean, that's great. And maybe we'll, maybe you'll sing the outro music at the end of the episode for us so we can let our listeners hear what that's like. Maybe you'll sing the main theme of National Treasure for everyone right now. <laughs> well, I have to get it in my head. Um, yeah, I can't. <laughs> um... I can't because there's so much to it. Okay. And we're going to go into it. We're going to go into it. Okay. Let's do it. I'm going to give you a few examples. So I call this the treasure theme, like I said, because it's used, as you mentioned, pretty much whenever they're talking about or seeing the treasure. All right. So that's pretty self-explanatory. Now, these kinds of themes tend to be built around in films. And you usually don't get the presentation of the theme in its entirety until a really poignant moment or the climax of the film itself. So something that I want to specifically refer our listeners to is the episode where we compared National Treasure 
with Indiana Jones. In that episode, I did talk a little bit about the music that was used in Indiana Jones. And I don't know if you remember, Aubrey, but one of the things I mentioned is that we spend a lot of times when Indiana Jones is doing very heroic things, kind of dancing around this main melody that that we all know as Indiana Jones. We don't get the full presentation of that melody until very late into the movie when all of the action really comes to a head and the climax of the movie happens. Mm. And in National Treasure, we get the same exact thing, which I think is really cool. So I'm gonna walk you through a few examples of how we see this theme at different levels until we get to the main presentation of the theme, which as you guessed, Aubrey, is in fact when they find the treasure itself. So the first example is in the beginning of the movie, the very beginning of the movie, when we have young Ben speaking with his grandfather, we get a really nice light version of this theme. And by light, what I mean is that in these main themes, we often have a lot of brass instruments. So when you think of brass, think of trumpets, trombones, French horns, things that sound very heroic in nature. Or as I like to call them, the shiny gold ones. They are, they're not all gold, but yes, they are shiny. Okay, well, they're often gold, okay? <laughs> often gold, yes. It can be silver though. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> the shiny gold ones are, are the brass instruments. And these themes often are carried by the brass instruments. But when I'm referring to this light theme in the beginning of the movie, which if you feel like you go back and listen to, there's a little bit of brass that's presented in this theme, but it's actually very light on the trumpets and the French horns, which are going to be our main carriers of the melody when we get to the final presentation of it. It's actually here, the oboe, which is a woodwind instrument, so not at all a brass instrument, that's carrying the melody. And it actually sustains the melody even through the scene in which Ben's grandfather knights him. And I would like to note that we do get a little bit of brass in there, especially during the knighting scene right? Because things are building up a little bit more. That's a really important point in the beginning of the movie. But something that I find really interesting is that in this lighter version of the melody, we're having an instrument that's not the brass carry this theme. Interesting. Yeah. Can, so, can I ask you a question? Sure. Can you literally listen to these themes and pick out every instrument that's being played like by ear? Um, not every instrument, but I know what brass instruments sound like. And I know, I, I know the difference between a trumpet and a French horn for the most part. I know the difference between an oboe and a flute. So I, I can, yeah, I can usually, an, an oboe kind of sounds like a duck sometimes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, um, it's, it's, oboes are relatively easy to, relatively easy to pick out. And they do utilize that a lot in this film. I, I wouldn't say that I can necessarily pick every instrument, but I can definitely pick the, the main ones that are going through. Okay, all right, I'm impressed, continue. So the second example is relatively brief, 
but I wanted to mention it because of all the patriarchy stuff that we talk about on this podcast. Okay. (laughs) So we get a brief hint of the main theme. The first time that we go to the archives to meet Abigail. And what I really want to note about this is that this main theme as you might have kind of gathered by now, is often associated with the hero of the film. Oh. So I'm not trying to purport that Abigail is the hero of the film, but what I am trying to say is that this theme itself is less tied to a specific person and is more tied to the journey to the treasure itself. And I have to say that I absolutely love that journey to seal your quote for Abigail. I'm Alexis from Schitt's Creek, Emily. Jeez, it's so rude of you. But it's great. It's so cool that we get this theme when she's first presented because it, it like the music essentially is telling us like, we are not going to necessarily abide by the patriarchy here. We are telling you that there is more to this movie than a singular person. Nick Cage is not necessarily the only hero of this movie. This movie is, as the title suggests, about the treasure. Yeah. Yeah. I I never would have noticed that, but now that you've pointed it out, I concur. That is a really nice touch. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now, kind of going along with this, I wanted to mention that it's interesting. You actually don't hear this theme at a very crucial point in the movie. And this is when Ben rescues Abigail from Ian and his men when they're trying to steal the Declaration of Independence during the car chasing. Would you expect to hear it there? I would, because if we're following the rules of typical action and adventure movies, we would expect that when the patriarch of the movie is saving the woman, we would get a presentation of some sort, whether it's the big version of the theme or whether it's a lighter version of the theme, that we would get some presentation of this main theme, as I mentioned, suggesting that the hero is kind of what this movie is all about. And I think it's really interesting that we actually don't hear the main theme at all. And I I don't know, I just think going along with the point that I just made about the patriarchy, I think that this, mu- this music itself is trying to point out to the, the keen observer that this movie isn't necessarily directly tied to a specific person. It's almost as if, you know, if we were doing one of our character analysis episodes and the music was a character, it would be the only character actively dismantling the patriarchy. So you say that. <laughs> oh no, am I wrong? I want to I wanna then touch on my last point that has to do with the patriarchy here. Okay. Where the music takes a bit of a turn in the wrong direction for us. Ew, so, Emily. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> so my fourth example here, and you can go ahead and listen to it specifically here because I think that it, it is really interesting that it's presented here. This occurs at an hour and 41 minutes and nine seconds into the movie on Disney Plus. And this is actually when Ben kisses Abigail. Like 
Like uh, before they go into Parkington Lane? Exactly. Okay. So by Aubrey's face, I can tell that she doesn't love that. (laughs) And I don't love that either. I think that the music and Trevor Rabin, whether knowingly or unknowingly, did a really good job of making it so that we weren't focused on Ben as being the main driver of this movie. And I think the fact that we get the hero or that we get the treasure theme when Ben kisses Abigail hits a little too close to home as far as the patriarchy is concerned. It, it does suggest that this is a, an important moment in the film, which I would like to note because I am often made fun of both in real life and on this podcast for finding, <laughs> for finding the love story in various situations and for loving the love story between Ben and Abigail. So the music here does suggest that this is important. Can I counterpoint you, actually? Sure. Could you argue that because there's no consistency with how the music treats the love story in this movie, that the love story comes off even more as like an afterthought? You could argue that, but there is actually another theme, which I chose not to talk about. That is what I refer to as the flirty theme. (laughs) That is often used when Ben and Abigail have interactions. One particular moment is when they're looking at the back of the Declaration of Independence and they're using the lemon juice on it. And Ben's dad says, you need heat. And they both go, I know exactly. I know exactly the music that's playing in that moment. Yeah, it's like, like, that's like, I think, no, it's like, um, you know, I, I'm really bad at describing music. So this please, is, please do this. Okay. When I think of it, that from that scene, it's like a twinkly, yep. it's like a twinkly sound almost. And it sounds almost like what I would imagine. I don't, I don't, I don't even know what more to say beyond twinkly, like almost like stars. I see stars like twinkling and like tingling. Yeah. And so that sound actually comes from mallet percussion. So mallet percussion is a form of uh, pitched percussion. And this is things such as a xylophone or a marimba. Oh, a xylophone. I know what a xylophone is. Mm -hmm. So it's not, a xylophone is not what's making the pitches here, but it's like a xylophone. It's like, it's a pitched percussion, percussion instrument. And it is carrying the, that, that melody. Now, to your point of there being a lack of consistency as far as this theme is concerned, I was following along with it and I did consider it to be the love theme for a long period of time. Or as you previously called it, the flirty theme. The flirty theme, yes, the flirty theme. And I, I renamed it from the love theme to the flirty theme as I continued to watch the movie, because it is not always only used in scenes that contain Ben and Abigail. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. where else? So it's also used, it's honestly, it's used a lot during the movie. Um, It's really honestly used when when the action theme or the main theme isn't happening, but there's a theme present. So it's like, 
the you you've used a and b already is this like the c theme yeah you could kind of call this a c theme well um i feel like i've gotten a super off track here <laughs> oh a little bit a little bit but you know what i'm gonna bring us right back on track and my final example of this treasure theme is when they find the treasure itself finally right so if you want to go ahead and follow along with the buildup of this theme, I'm going to direct you to a mi- uh, to one hour, 50 minutes, and 39 seconds in the movie. Now, at this point, you get a buildup in the brass and strings with chords, so multiple layers of notes underneath to represent what you feel is going to be a big moment. And this occurs as Ben opens the secret door to the room after the room that they send Ian and his company away. Do you know what scene I'm talking about? Yeah, so this is when we get to the fake-out room, the antechamber? Or is it when we get to the actual treasure room? This is still the room before the treasure. Okay, the, the fake-out room. The, the fake-out room, yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not the room where, ben, where Ian leaves them, but it's the room right after that. Right, and then Ben thinks, oh, I just really thought I was going to find the treasure. Thank you, Aubrey. Perfect transition. So at <laughs> an hour and 51 minutes and 55 seconds, Ben's dad is trying to console him because Ben is all sad about how there's no treasure here. We get the melody of the treasure theme but it's actually carried mainly in the high strings. So I'd like to point back to Aubrey, you were saying that you picture string instruments like the violin being often the ones that kind of carry a melody. Mm -hmm. They're carrying the melody here and also some woodwind instruments. So instruments such as the oboe or the flute. So we're getting a very high version of this melody. But as I mentioned before, this isn't happening in the brass. And the brass is where we really expect the big moment to happen. So is this like a giveaway that it's not the treasure room? Almost. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's happening throughout the scene. So we kind of know as the scene's going on that it's not the treasure room because there's no treasure in there. Okay. But <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying? Is this is this a hint if you study music yes, that like, it is a hint. oh, wait, it's not that the treasure has disappeared and been taken somewhere else. It just actually isn't the treasure room yet. Yes. Yes. Very good point. Yes, it is a hint. And I would like to note, kind of going along with what you're saying, that there is a little bit of French horn present, but it's very, very quiet. And it, the melody is actually slowed down a lot from what you end up hearing it as in its final form. So as you're saying, this is kind of a tip off, like, oh, there's something more coming. Mm, okay. Now that something more coming happens around an hour, 54 minutes and 34 seconds. So here we start building up to the theme again, this time with the trumpet, a shiny gold thing, having the main part of the melody, as well as still some high woodwinds. So we're talking flutes, my, my babies, and we're talking oboes and clarinets. Now, this version of the melody is what I like to refer to as very cautious. Okay. Okay. So what I mean by that is that it's not super triumphant. It's not coming out full force and telling you like, we're here, this is what's happening. Instead, it's kind of like 
we we might be here this this could be it we've been fooled once we've been exactly <laughs> we've been fooled once we we could be fooled again and i think so what's interesting is that this theme is occur or this version of the theme is occurring when they find the first section of the treasure so this is the point at which we're seeing the scrolls of alexandria we're seeing riley referring to the big blue green man right and it's almost treated with this kind of caution that I think mirrors the caution that everyone is taking with the treasure and kind of savoring the moment of like finding these things and experiencing them for the first time. We get this very kind of cautious version of the melody. And it's, and like you said, it's a little cautious because like we've been fooled once. So we're kind of wondering like, okay, is this it? Is this, like, if it is it, that's great because we're finding Scrolls of Alexandria, like we're finding some good stuff. It's great. But as you mentioned before, from a musical perspective, it's kind of hinting that it might not be the main treasure that we're looking for. Because we, and we also can't see everything yet, right? We're like really limited. Yeah, we're limited in what we can see and interpret physically right now yes exactly and that brings us to the point at an hour and 56 minutes and four seconds this is when ben lights the path into the extension of the treasure room and we get to see all of the treasure in that really beautiful cgi long haul (laughs) that is there all of the treasure that is present in the room and this is actually where we get the real treasure theme presented Mm. now this theme is very heroic And we hear it for the first time in its full capacity. And as I mentioned before, it is carried mainly here by brass instruments. So French horn, trumpet, trombone, you get a lot of that heroic stuff happening. And this is the main presentation of the theme. This is the climax of the movie. And can I just say for all of our listeners, um, as someone who knows Emily well and has watched this movie with Emily many times, every time we've watched it, she has commented on this the music in this scene. Yes, I love, I absolutely love the music in this scene. Thank you so much for mentioning that. No, for sure. It sticks in my head as something that is like significant because it's something that you've recognized. It's, yeah, it's really great. And something that I want to notice here, just for anyone who's still following along with these timestamps, in case you are, at an hour, 56 minutes and 39 seconds, we get a really cool hit. So a very punctate kind of sound coming from the French horn. A what? It's a punctate sound. So it's like, like something like that. Is that like less, less like a horn blaring and more musical in nature? Okay. Well, I have never heard that word before. So I'm really glad. Yeah. Are you, is, I learned. It's not a music word. (laughs) Is it a word at all? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we hear this. And it accentuates the moment that Ben and his dad have upon discovering the treasure. So here is where Ben and his dad are looking at each other and they're both like, yo, man, this treasure is here. And they're bonding over that moment. And the fact that we get this really nice French horn hit happening here is, I think, just really cool. And with that, I want to wrap up the, you know, treasure theme of the movie and say that I think it's pretty cool. If that was your thesis the whole time, I buy it. 
Sweet. Perfect. <laughs> so let's now go into the villain versus hero music. So as I mentioned before, what we're going to be doing here is actually taking the action theme and looking at it as it's presented with different characters. So when Ben and Riley are presented versus when Ian and Shaw and the rest of his henchmen are presented. Now, Aubrey, I suspect the answer is going to be no to this question, and that is fully okay. Did you notice a difference in the music between when Ben and Riley were doing something and when Ian and his men were doing something? So it's a no, but. Okay. I have not explicitly noticed it in these movies, but I suspect that it's actually very noticeable if you're looking for it. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually going to say this, I'm sure you're going to be rolling your eyes at this, but, you know, I've mentioned reality television um, quite a bit on this show and the fact that I watched the Bachelor franchise and things like that. And one of the reasons I like reality television so much is I'm fascinated by the way it's edited. Mm-hmm. And I have definitely read about, listened to podcasts about, and thought a bit about how the musical backgrounds of, let's say, The Bachelorette, for instance, um, when they edit the show together, you get a very clear impression of what story the producers and the editors are trying to tell based on the Mm. characters, based on the music that they put behind them. So it's like, you ask yourself, why do I get the impression that this guy's the villain of the season? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the music that they choose to use. Um, And it feels like edgy. It feels shady. It feels like you feel a little on edge when you're listening to it, as opposed to, you know, you can already, you can tell who a front runner might be in this season also in part based on the music because they're giving them the winner edit the front runner edit where it's just like this romance in this case romantic music and you know everything is happy and light and you know swells and things like that so I'm using this as an analogy but I could absolutely see I would guess having not picked it out personally in National Treasure that you would see something similar where Ian would be much more like you know edgy you feel a little at you know ill at ease when he's in the presence of your screen based on the music choice whereas maybe more of a heroic sounding vibe or an upbeat vibe when Ben and Riley are operating yeah that's your knowledge of reality television has come in handy, Aubrey. Yay! In demonstrating this for you. I've been waiting for someone to tell me that in my life, Emily. <laughs> so amazing. Yes. And I think, so I think part of what's interesting about the hero versus the villain versions of the music that we hear is that it's not that the hero version of the music is super notable in nature it it doesn't have that like romantic swell or anything like that that you were describing but the villain version of the music is very notably a villain version of the music Mm -hmm. so as I mentioned we hear this most with the action theme so at about an hour and eight minutes into the film 
we start switching back and forth between Ian and Ben while they're trying to steal the Declaration of Independence. And one of the things that I noted immediately upon this viewing of the film was that when Ian is doing all of his stuff with his crew and being super rough with everything and basically demolishing things, his the, the action theme that is behind him is electronic in nature. Hmm. So what I mean by this is we have like electric guitars, electric bass. We have that kind of like rah, rah, sound going on. And you don't hear that when Ben and Riley are doing things. You just get the normal version of the action film or of the action music itself. Something else that I want to note is that Throughout the movie, really, when Ian is present, we get this darker, as you mentioned, version of the music. So when Ian calls Ben after uh, he, or while he's on the USS Intrepid, mm -hmm. we get a really hard bass drum hit, which is a really big, deep sounding drum. And we get these really eerie string sounds. So kind of like high and just like, they make you a little uncomfortable in nature. When we see Shaw, almost every time we see him, we get heavy drums. We get these percussive strings, as I mentioned before, these really rhythmic sounding strings. And the music itself doesn't have a real melody to it. It just kind of sounds like bad, not bad. The music itself doesn't sound bad, <laughs> but it just sounds like, oh, here's a bad guy. Like you can just tell. It's like more chaotic. Yeah, yeah, almost more chaotic. That's a great, that's a great way to put it. There are a lot of low bass drones. And what I mean by this is there's this kind of like that is sustained and held out kind of throughout while other music is happening on top of it. It's sustained while these characters are in the scene. And when there is a melody while the villains are present, it almost sounds kind of mournful. Hmm. As if, as you were mentioning before, maybe this is something that's supposed to be tipping off people who know a little bit more about music, as if kind of to suggest that the villain's part of the story is not going to end super well. Okay. Right? Is that something that normally happens with villains in movies? Yeah. I'd say for the most part, yeah. So, I mean, uh, like with the music? Yeah, I don't know if it necessarily, if the melody itself is necessarily more mournful, but I'd say that in general, the kind of eerie sounding nature of the music is definitely, is definitely there. Aubrey, before we wrap up this section, I just want to ask you about your favorite character, Sadowski. Do you think that he has a more heroic or a more villainous sounding theme? Well, you know what I'm going to say to this. I think it should be a villainous theme. Or maybe since he's so boring and lame, he has no music at all. So great point. Unfortunately, you're not correct. So if you guys want to take a look at this at a, an hour, 58 minutes and 17 seconds into the film, we get actually a hint of the treasure theme that occurs as Ben and Sadusky are talking about how they're going to split up the treasure. 
And I want to note that this happens specifically at the moment that the camera zooms in on Sadusky's ring. Well, duh, that's making him seem like he's part of the team because he's a Freemason. Exactly. And it paints him in the light as the good guy as we see the ring because he's a Freemason. Yeah, but what I want to know is what is the music when we first meet Sadusky when he's doing all of his dumb shenanigans, like trying to track Ben down, and then even more so when Ben is sitting handcuffed to the chair in the FBI office. So during that scene, it's actually the flirty music that's happening. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that tells you. What I really wanted to note is that even as Sadusky says, your least favorite line which is someone's gotta gotta go go to to prison, prison, Ben. Ben. Exactly. You still hear this treasure theme hint happening underneath of it, which I find super interesting. So I'm sorry, but I think Trevor Rabin is trying to tell you something different about Agent Sadusky than you yourself want to believe. Counterpoint. That was supposed to be a big aha moment, like, guess what he was a freemason the whole time so like it was supposed to be a surprise and that's why you only get the treasure theme in that one moment with sadusky and not with all the other instances that we see sadusky gracing our screen throughout the previous two hours yeah also a great point i I like that take aubrey very nice thank you i will find the evidence to support my theory So with that, guys, I want to thank you for following along with this. And what I want to do is I want to wrap up this episode with a little, a quick little discussion about how sometimes the lack of music in a scene can be just as important and poignant as the presence of music itself. So one of the great things about music is that it makes an impression, an impression, both when it's present and when it's not. And this is particularly noticeable when you're listening for the music itself, let me tell you. (laughs) Right, that makes sense. But something that I noticed right when I started watching the movie, and I wasn't sure if this was an action and adventure trope or whether this was something that Trevor Rabin specifically likes to do. But I was only in the part where they first got into the Charlotte And I had already noticed multiple times that the music abruptly cut off as soon as they discovered something new. Mm. Now, I don't know exactly what this means, but I wanted to note that it made these moments really stand out because there was a lot of music and then very suddenly there was no music. And an example of this is when they're figuring out the iron pen clue in the Charlotte itself. The strings come in with the main treasure theme that kind of surrounds the melody. And then the strings kind of pick up the melody a little bit. We get some help from the low, the low brass to kind of flush it out. But as soon as Ben gets to the words, the Declaration of Independence, the music fades out. Hmm. right so as to so as to emphasize the declaration of independence exactly but what's interesting is that here we're emphasizing the declaration of independence with a lack of music rather than with music itself right and another thing that i wanted to note is because riley is my favorite 
character. Yeah, I don't think know. you've said his name once until right now. Yeah, I couldn't leave an episode without doing it. So you know that moment that Riley has that we all love when they're in the Urban Outfitters and he's talking about the daylight savings time part of the clue on the clock tower. Well, considering you said we all love it and I'm pretty sure you're speaking for yourself. Yes, of course. (laughs) So as they're building up to Riley kind of making his point here, the music kind of starts to build up a little bit. And I was really expecting that when Riley had his moment of like, yo, daylight savings time is the thing, guys. I know this and you don't. That there was going to be a really nice musical presentation, possibly even of that treasure theme. And there's not. There's not. There's not music. Oh. And I don't know if leaving this music out here actually helps to undercut Riley and kind of cement his role as the one who's kind of off to the side, or if it's supposed to accentuate the fact that he actually has decent input in this moment, much like we're saying that the lack of music accentuates the presence of the Declaration of Independence in that initial Charlotte clue. I think the answer might actually come, you know, save from talking to Trevor Rabin himself, might be when you look at National Treasure 2 and find out how the music plays out in Riley's key scene there with the book, with his book. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think it's interesting because also, you know, could it be to accentuate, but also to place Riley to the side? I mean, can it accomplish both? Because we talk all the time about how we perceive Ben and Abigail as being equals in this movie. And Riley is very clearly not. And you already mentioned probably without even realizing that Abigail and Ben are both present in these scenes and the focal points of these scenes where the treasure theme is playing. Mm-hmm. But you haven't mentioned that about Riley at all. So maybe that is part of what's establishing that equivalence or non-equivalence in our perception of the characters. Yeah, I, that's, yeah. For someone who claims to know very little about music, I think you're making some, you've made some excellent points throughout the course of this episode. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. So With that, guys, I just want to wrap up by saying thank you for letting me have this episode to really go into the music of this movie. I hope that you followed along and were able to kind of understand what I was talking about. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to let us know. And you can go ahead and you can find us on social media, both on Twitter and Instagram at NTHuntPodcast. And you can also find us to listen to on iTunes, Spotify. We even got you covered over there on SoundCloud. Go ahead, like, subscribe, rate, review. Anything that you can do to support us, guys. And like I said, please let us know what you thought about this episode. I I think it turned out pretty well, but I'm also very biased. Well, also let us know if you think we should replicate this episode and take a look at the music of National Treasure 2. I mean, we will listen to you guys. And if you say a resounding no, we won't do it. But Mm -hmm. just based on this conversation, I'm inclined to think we should. I mean, that excites me. (laughs) And I do have to say major props to you, Em. You really uh, did an awesome job putting this together and and leading the way on this episode you made it enjoyable and interesting for even someone like me who really does not grasp music 
even a fraction of the amount that you do. So thank you for that. Thank you. And everyone, you're going to want to come back and join us in two weeks time for our next new episode as we proceed through season three of National Treasure Hunt. And I think I'm giving Emily a bunch of treats or something because our next episode is going to be our third and final character analysis of this season. We've talked about Ben. We've talked about Abigail. So you guessed it. Next time we are doing our character analysis of Riley Poole. I'm sure Emily will have a lot to share that time as well. But hey, until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our national treasure hunt. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.